Hey, what's up, everybody? This week, I am so fortunate to be speaking with the incomparable Nietzsche Sharma, author of My So-Called Bollywood Life, and a graduate and now faculty member in the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Bokes University. This is episode 84 of Untenured Tracks. I am working on my first um, trade romance rom-com series uh, with Avon, which is an imprint at HarperCollins. Um, the series is titled If Shakespeare Was an Auntie, so it's actually three South Asian rom-coms that are inspired by Shakespeare plays. Um, the first one is uh, that I just finished that I was just, I'm actually really excited about now. It took a while for it to come together, but it's finally, I feel like it's finally kind of congealing. Um, mm. It's called Dating Dr. Dill. Uh, Dill means heart in Hindi and he's a cardiologist. So it's, it's, a, it's a punny title. <laughs> um, and uh, it is a reimagination of Taming of the Shrew. Wow. So... Um, I'm, I'm excited about that. And, um, I have, uh, a few other contracted works that I'm just trying to figure out what, what I should start next. And I've been very blessed to be able to have, um, my finger like in a lot of like different like pies. So, oh. um, um, but yeah, that's, that's my projects. So what other, um, Shakespeare works are being adapted for this? So uh, the second book is a reimagination of Much Ado About Nothing, which is my favorite. And uh, the last one is Twelfth Night. Um, and I write squarely in the romance genre. Um, and uh, I'm, these are straight rom-coms. Um, so um, I'm just, I'm really excited to be able to kind of play up the humor element as much as possible because um, kind of it's they're not adaptations they're not retellings they really are like I'm taking pieces of the plays that really resonated with me mm -hmm. and um, I'm putting them into this very modern South Asian dating setting um, uh, in New Jersey and um, uh, I'm really enjoying the process of you know of, of doing that of revisiting my favorite parts of these stories and um, being able to kind of make them my own. Mm -hmm. That's such an interesting idea um, and I'm, I'm really curious, like, where did it, I guess this is a dumb question, but where did, where did it come from? I mean, three very specific I mean, plays and, and like, what was it about these, these plays specifically that resonated with you? And then, you know, gave you this idea to make, to make the leap into kind of adapting them um, in, a, in a very different kind of setting. Yeah, so um, I've always enjoyed Shakespeare. Um, I feel like I've connected with um, Shakespeare plays when I was 
uh, in college. And then I just was able to kind of cultivate that love through um, watching all of these different adaptations that came out in movies and in other books that I've read. Um, I visited the Folgers Library in DC multiple times, and I've really enjoyed like the backstory behind um, how um, Shakespeare really approached his writing as a marketer. Like he, mm. he created his work to put people in the Globe Theater and to bring people um, to the stage. Um, and that meant he had to have a really good pulse on the types of things that um, connected with his audience. And um, that's why there's like a mix of, you know, social commentary and politics. And um, uh, there's a mix of like body humor and sophisticated humor and everything that he did because he was kind of producing something for the masses. And um, the three plays that I selected, I mean, for, well, to back up a little bit more, um, I enjoy the romance genre so much. I have since I was a, a kid. Um, and um, one of the things that really always kind of got my attention was um, the the ability for people to see these common themes and these common storylines retold over and over again with the pretty much like the same ending like the happily ever after except told in different ways and um romance readers are voracious like they know there's going to be a happily ever after a happily for now they know that there's going to be a climax scene where like the characters may break up or there's something that's pulling them apart and they will still come back to the same author the same subgenre, over and over and over again and so i love the idea of like taking this shakespeare love that i have and applying it to that concept and then putting it in this rom-com south asian setting which brings my culture into the mix um the way that i picked the three plays um so taming of the shrew is your like it's considered like one of the earliest identifiable enemies to lover tropes like seen played out in in um a, a piece of art mm -hmm. and um except taming of the shrew is actually like a pretty terrible play i mean it's literally about abuse right i, I mean he he is manipulative and he tries to like convince her that like she's wrong and to become like the submissive wife and he marries her for money and he's very clear about it and at the end she does end up i mean because of the time that shakespeare was writing and he couldn't he couldn't um kind of um uh, it's the promise of the premise, right? So the promise of the premise is that like she never bends, she never she never breaks, she bends. Mm -hmm. But like in the play, she had to break because at the time he was writing, like you know, she becomes this submissive um, wife. And there's like lines in it that show that she's bitter about it, even though uh, like you know you have to kind of read between the lines there. So I love the idea of taking Taming of the Shrew and instead of making it about like a person breaking, making it about like the hero bending instead. And so um, it's, it's something that like really kind of um, attracted my attention very early on and I just hadn't had the opportunity to write it until now. 
Um, Much Ado About Nothing is something that, I swear to God, I have been able to like recite this play backwards and forwards. I love, 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 love this play. Um, The different relationships, the family dynamics, the forced proximity, it's incredible. And um, I've always wanted to do something where I can kind of utilize this play um, in a way where like I'm able to apply to a South Asian situation. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't share too much about it because I honestly, I haven't even started writing it yet. So I can't commit to anything (laughs) until I actually sit down and start writing it. Um, And I won't be able to start writing until January. So um, it's one of those things where like, I'm, I'm really excited to tackle it and I know like exactly what I'm going to do, but like, I can't touch it yet. Yeah. Um, and then 12th night is another one where it's like, that one's a little scary for me because there's some certain themes in it that like could be detrimental to marginalized communities. So I have to be very careful about the way that I approach it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I'm excited to kind of, you know, take on the challenge and make sure that, you know, not only am I being respectful to all of the marginalized communities represented in the play, mm-hmm. but um, I'm basically approaching it from a voice that is familiar to me that, and, and from a South Asian perspective again. So, um, you know that's kind of like the situation that um like my 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 books are currently in and and the approach that i'm taking um for all of them it's so interesting um just not only because of like the challenge of adapting you know the these classics and and mm-hmm. and sort of recognizing uh the social circumstances at the of the time and kind of being familiar with the sociology of that time and then not wanting to replicate that sort of power dynamic um but i also have never thought of of shakespeare as like a marketer <laughs> for yeah. you know, like, i i don't know maybe it's just like how i've been exposed to his work but it's always just sort of taught as like this thing that's just here and it's it's classic and perfect and and here's Shakespeare. And you don't think of him like, you know, walking around his apartment, like, how am I going to get people in the, in the seat? I mean, what am yeah, I going like, to do? <laughs> that's exactly what he was. Um, he And like, the other thing is, like, not all of his plays are original. Like, he mm. borrowed heavily from mythology and from other stories. And those, like, the the borrowing of literature is like, you know, the the adaptations that he created, you know, are because he was able to identify themes in those work that really would resonate with the audience that he was trying to attract to the globe. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I think that there's something admirable about that from a writer's perspective. Not all of us really approach our work as you know, as business people, which, you know, oftentimes, like, that's where, that's where we're lacking, right? Like, we need to, there's, there's such joy in sitting down and writing, but there's also like a very practical element too. like, are you going to put this book under your bed and just say that you're satisfied with the way that it is and be done with it? Or are, is your purpose for publishing and really like connecting with readers and sharing your story with readers? If that's the case, then you have to be able to retract those readers. Yeah. And so that's something I think we should, we should talk about with regard to the writing program at Wilkes, mm-hmm. um, because that is one of the major strong suits of the program, right? That mm-hmm. I can remember when I talked to, to Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie Culver, who was one of the co-founders now retired um, about you know, what's the program like? And, and she laid into me with this, uh, this business pitch 
And I had never thought of like that as being part of a writing program, but it seems like the most obvious thing in the world. But apparently Wilkes is very unique in that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like, when I came into the program, like, I had a bunch of biases about it going in. And I think it's because I was on a completely different, like, track than a lot of the students that usually come into MFA programs. Like, I knew exactly what I wanted to write. I knew how I wanted to approach my career. I already knew what the industry looked like what the marketing situation was going to be. I had an agent already. I had opportunities. Like I was, I went into the program with the intention of learning how to teach, learning how to refine my skills and networking. Like those were, those were my goals. And when they kind of hit me with the, well, you know, you really need to think about marketing in these ways. Like, although the, what they were teaching was familiar to me, I was very impressed with it because you know, I think that like oftentimes, even specifically, like for example, in undergrad, um, you know, they they give you that ivory tower touch, the ivory tower approach, and when you come down to the real world, it's like, okay, well, this is this is not going to fly anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, academia has that that problem. <laughs> I think across the board. <laughs> But yeah, even even just seeing like what other folks in screenwriting are doing, because that's what I'm doing at Wilkes um, at other MFA programs. Um, I've been kind of shocked by uh, how much content is being created, but then at the same time, like that's not great, right? Yeah. You know, um, so one of the benefits of Wilkes, not just the business part of it, but like you're allowed to have a life too, and you're allowed to have that space to kind of like grow into this writer business model right where i think a lot of people probably uh didn't come into wilkes like with already the whole <laughs> their whole plan laid out right ahead of them <laughs> um that that can be some pretty major growing pains for for some folks right um so i'm i'm curious sometimes about how people become interested in the genres that they they work in um so I, like uh, in another interview, I got to talk to Phil Brady about what got him interested in poetry, right? Which mm -hmm. is, uh, uh, Phil is a, a fascinating guy. So I'm, I'm really curious, what got you interested in, in writing and romance? Um, so I think there's like a couple things that were like the, the instrumental moments in my life that kind of drew me to the romance genre. The first was, and I joke about this, but I, I'm, I'm also 100% serious at the same time. Um, when I was young, my my mom was an English major for a little bit before she had me. Um, she wasn't able to finish college. She had an arranged marriage very early, and um, but uh, she passed on like her love for literature to me. And she like used to take us to the library because we would drive her nuts. And we were finally kind of at the age where we knew how to read, but like you know we we were also like early readers and. Um, just trying to figure out like, you know, is, is like our books the right thing for me? And um, she handed me like the Nancy Drew mysteries and she's like, read this, you'll like it. And I was like, like, it was magic. It was, it was like the, you know, the one book that kind of makes you so hungry for more. You didn't even <laughs> know you were hungry. Yep. Um, and uh, so, so Nancy Drew was that for me. And then um, I found the Hardy Boy Mysteries. 
And then Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys in the 90s had this like cross series where they like solve mysteries together. Mm -hmm. And there was such chemistry between Nancy Drew and Frank Hardy. And I was like, it was like my mind was blown when I read. I think it, the book was called like Secrets of the Nile. And <laughs> I think I still have a copy of it somewhere. Um, and uh, it was like, it was magic. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, like these two have to get together, but they don't. They just have these this tension that exists between them for all of these cross series. And so I started writing fan fiction because I was so dissatisfied with the state of these characters. So I started writing like love stories of them, like leaving their significant others to be together and solving mysteries across the world. So, so that was like one of those pivotal moments for me. The other one was I grew up in a culture that kind of views romance in this very like idealized way, like soulmates, insta love, like seeing someone from across the room, um, you know, not so much enemies to lovers, but like very much like, you know, you, you are going about your life and then someone comes and steps in front of your path and you're immediately like diverted and, um, and everything is trying to keep you guys apart but, you know, you are fighting, you know, the good fight to try to be together. And that's very Bollywood, like Bollywood movies in the 90s specifically was all about that. Like, there's something that's standing in your way. And all you have to do is like fight tooth and nail, and you'll eventually succeed for that happily ever after. And so like, I grew up with these Bollywood movies playing in the background growing up, like as a child, like even before I was verbal, I, you know, my, my parents and my grandparents used to have these movies playing on in the background. So the idea of love was very idealized and it was also like, it had like rose tinted glasses, sparkly, beautiful, you know, and, and I've always viewed kind of romance in this context, in this like mm -hmm. idealized, fictionalized world. And I thought that, you know, um, like this is what books were supposed to be about. This is what stories and movies were supposed to be about um, because that's all I was really, truly exposed to for a long time. And so that plus like Nancy Drew and Frank Hardy, it was like, that's it. My, it was like imprinted on me. And, and then when I got my first copy of Pride and Prejudice in the eighth grade, I was, I was done. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of like a, a Pride and Prejudice uh, meets like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys sort of crossover. <laughs> I think there's a lot of space to explore there. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you though that like the romance genre, there's so many authors who retell Pride and Prejudice. And oh, they sure. flip it, they do a gender flip version, they do like you know, all sorts of different things with it. And so as many, as much as I want to do a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that ground is well covered. Yes, give it, <laughs> at least not today, like yeah, maybe 10 years. Yeah, give it, give, it a, give it a while. Yep. <laughs> and you can, you can relaunch the Pride and, Pre Pride and Prejudice renaissance. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, what an incredible story. That's... that's that's wonderful, um, uh, and completely just derailed me because I'm I'm my face hurts from smiling at that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I 
I guess what I want to talk to you about next is um, your process because, mm -hmm. like, because you've been through the program, uh, you I think can empathize with any five hundred one students who might be listening to this whenever you're listening to this, well into the future, um, because I think a lot of students come in into any writing program with this idea sure. of like there has to be a formula to follow, and uh, if I if I follow the steps X, Y, and Z, um, I will be you know, a national book award winner or accepting my Oscar or whatever. And then you sit in those, in the panels in, in that first week of 501 and hear about people's processes and are like, well, dang, <laughs> because nobody, <laughs> everybody has a different, everybody has a different process. And so mm -hmm. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your approach to writing. So I'm probably not going to like provide any comfort to 501ers <laughs> in this situation. Um, I had a very strict process for a very long time. And the older that I got, and the more books that I wrote, the more I realized that like, each story deserves and requires a different process and a different approach. So when I was younger and I was writing, and honestly, my first YA book, my so-called Bollywood Life, was written like this. I had a full-time job. I was working I, even when I was in the Wilkes program. So this is, you know, this is like specifically I wrote my so-called Bollywood Life as, as an MA student at Wilkes, mm -hmm. and this is how I finished it. Um, I, I was working 60, 70 hours a week. I was commuting into Manhattan. I was working in the city, and... Um, I would write on the train going into Manhattan at like six o'clock in the morning like on that train. And I would edit the manuscript on the train back. And it was very much like John Grisham used to do something like this. So like I heard it and I was like, listen, I have a hard time like thinking of John Grisham and like of my romance novel in the same like vein, <laughs> but uh, we'll give it a shot. And it actually worked for me because editing yeah. felt like a very like, uh, I don't want to say mindless, but it felt like it, it, I had something to work with. I didn't have to like bleed out creative juices on the way home after a very long day. Yeah. So that creativity in the morning allowed me to write and then I would edit and I would basically have two hours a day during the week and then i would have four hours on saturday and four hours on sunday to work on the manuscript and i was very regimented yeah i plotted the whole thing out um i would follow my plot guidelines and then when i started working at verizon i was at verizon for years um i uh i would basically you know write on my phone sitting in the parking lot in the in the parking garage um, and like before I got into work, if I needed a break and I just could not escape people, I would go back down to my car in the middle of the day, like at lunch and I would write on my phone. Um, and then, um, I would write when I got home. So I, I would use whatever time that I could in order to write this manuscript and I would plot it very, very thoroughly. I would have all my research done before I even sat down to write the first word. Mm -hmm. Um, last year I quit my job and I now consult part-time and I write full-time. Mm -hmm. So, um, since then I've written two books, mm -hmm. like since I, you know, left my job and, um, in that time, time frame, um, I've really kind of embraced the idea of making sure that the way that I approach each novel has its own unique, like 
process. So for Rada and Jay's recipe for romance, which is my YA book that just came out last month, um, I was very, very adamant about um, not having like a very clearly defined plot when I sat down to write, um, but I just knew where it was going to go. And I let the characters kind of guide me through each chapter. Mm-hmm. However, every time I do write a chapter before I sit, before I actually like start writing that chapter, I think to myself, like, what are the characters trying to accomplish? What is at stake? And how are they going to be different from the first page to the last in this specific chapter? And like, so, so that's kind of how I approached Rather and Jay's recipe for romance. Um, dating Dr. Dill, because I had a framework already set for me, I was using kind of the taming of the shrew, like as a, as a general guiding, guiding light, even though it's not a retelling, you know, I knew that there were certain things in the play that I wanted to address. Those were my my goalposts, and I approached each scene the same way. What are the characters trying to accomplish? What are they trying to do? Um, how are they going to get there? And um, I worked towards these goalposts. Mm-hmm. So um, so it was very much like uh, like I set mile markers for myself, mm-hmm. and I just had to get from one mile marker to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what I do is I have like a I have like a ton of apps and things like that that I have to support me so like I sit down every morning to write still and if the words don't come then I get up I walk around I take a break I come back to it but I now bucket my time so every day I want to write for four hours or or Tuesdays Thursdays I want to write for four hours Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I want to write for two. And in that time frame, I 100% like, you know, however I use that time, it has to be specifically focused on the manuscript. Whenever I schedule it, though, like, it doesn't have to be consistent across the week. Um, and when I sit down, I have the Freedom app. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really helpful. Um, <laughs> the Freedom app will block all your social media. Oh, that's incredible. So, so like you literally cannot access your mm-hmm. social media accounts for that hour and there's no way to stop it either. Yeah. So it's not like you can be like, Oh, let me turn it off. No, you literally, you will not be able to. So <laughs> it has helped tremendously. And so I use the freedom app and then I set my pace on pacemaker.press, mm-hmm. which is a wait website. And basically I put in like, I want to write a book that's 85,000 words and I want to be done by August 1st or whatever, October 1st. It'll actually break up how many words I have to do, how many pages I have to do, whatever the pace is that I want to write. Um, and so, so I use that kind of as like a guiding light as well. And however I create the novel using those tools, you know, that's, that's what I do. That's so interesting. And so I, I think <laughs> like the takeaway from that, I, I really like how you put it, that every project deserves its own process because we're different writers at every project, right? And so, like, what, thinking of it from a student perspective, like, what works for you during uh, your thesis, your thesis semester, may not work if you choose to go on to the MFA, you know? Right. Because you're you're a completely different person, uh, working with different people, cohort, uh, makeups kind of shift around, um, and... And yeah, like just what works the first time may not the second time. That's such right. a that's such a um, important lesson I think for students to hear. Um, mm-hmm. I I remembered what I wanted to ask you about your about your 
creative work before well i got sidetracked thinking about the uh pride and prejudice and nancy drew um, <laughs> so you had you had said a couple of times that uh romance was presented to you in a very idealized way um through a lot of the bollywood work that you grew up with and i was wondering do you do you write it in a very idealized way now do you see yourself think, as like an ideal idealist um, when it comes to romance so interestingly enough dating dr dill which is the next book that i'm writing is kind of uses that as the premise for the argument between the hero and heroine she views romance in a very idealistic way and he's very practical about what commitment and trust and communication mean and um and they kind of and he's like love is not like this idealized love does not exist or it cannot su sustain a relationship and you know and she's like love can basically get you through the toughest times in your life like mm -hmm. you know that kind that that is something that 100% works so so it's an argument that exists in the story that i'm kind of trying to unravel and unwrap in dating dr though i think when i started writing i too viewed love in that very idealist I, like i was a firm believer in it but uh doing like character sketches and reading like you read all sorts of stuff when you start writing, like trying to understand the human psyche in ways that, you know, you yourself don't understand, um, you know, or have never really experienced. Um, uh, and you start reading all these like sociological papers or, you know, and studies on, uh, uh, on the way that humans interact with each other. Mm -hmm. I think my understanding of love still remains the same. Like I still believe in it, but I also believe that, it's it's not there's so many legs to it it's not like a single concept like love can kind of exist with multiple parts and you have to have all of those parts working adequately in order to sustain love and so you know that's why in the romance novels that i create like it's really important for the characters to to be on the same page because if they are two separate different personalities and they approach life in completely different ways that is not going to help them sustain all the different legs that exist under love and um and that is uh i think that's what has changed as i've continued to write these romance novels um i think that like romance the romance genre is great because there's there it's like there's huge bodies of study that go into this genre and um and i think that you know there are so many different authors tackling it in different ways but the best part is like readers like readers understand the core concept of all of these novels and they understand that hey it's fiction like these characters are fiction like some of the smartest readers in the world read romance you know because it's it's just like a great escapist form of you know fiction mm -hmm. um but um they all like identify this like what love is and i think that's that's beautiful mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's super interesting, right? And I have to say, as a sociology professor, uh, sociology helps make your writing better. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe look into into that some more. Uh, like the idea of the sociology of emotions is really interesting too, and I, I I'm hoping it's a field that's going to have like its own sort of renaissance. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think with a lot of the uh, stuff that's been happening let's say in the, in the country over the last five years i think that there's a uh, a need for a, another like a new generation of of look into how 
where like where do emotions come from sociologically right. and and what are some effects so yeah um human beings are super complicated and complex and contradictory uh, yeah, and absolutely. i like alliteration <laughs> <laughs> um so uh the last thing that i want to talk to you about because i've taken up a lot of your time this morning and i know you're super busy um <laughs> Uh, what what excites you about now making the transition into being a faculty member in the writing program? Um, I think what what's really exciting is that there's like it's challenging for me um, as well as it is like a way to give back to a community that has served me. Um, so like from the, the the giving back part, like I think for me it's really important to see other writers succeed, specifically like writers who are trying to um, like diversify the like the young adult and mm -hmm. the the you know and genre fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's a challenge because I think I always get into this tunnel vision, and we have such like where you know I think writing or fiction or 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 books should appear and should form in a certain way or should look a certain way. And um, like, there's so many talented writers in the program that are really challenging that. And I think that's just wonderful to see. Um, so, so it's uh, twofold. I think, you know, I'm excited to see like what the way that people are approaching fiction today. And I'm also really excited to kind of contribute to a community that has helped launch, you know, my, my career. I did have, you know, I had started kind of just getting myself together um, and getting my career off the ground before I started at Wilkes, but I would not have written my so-called Bollywood life if it wasn't for the program. And that was really something that had launched my traditionally published career. So I, I think my, my last question then, and you may have just answered it a little bit, but the, clearly the program has meant a lot to you over, mm -hmm. over the last several years. Um, as it does for lots of people, right? This is, yeah, uh, this is a life-changing experience. It is. Yeah. And I think David is doing really great work with it too. Um, Bonnie started like a really great program and I think David is taking it to the next level and, you know, because he's approaching it from a different perspective and um, I think his perspective is great. He's also a really great ally to diverse voices. And to me, diversity in publishing is super important. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of MFA programs, and I'll be completely honest with you, like Wilkes has also suffered from this a little bit because of where it's located and generally because it's academia, you know, um, just uh, like has, has been affected by like not approaching uh, diversity in fiction in a way that like you can, where you can be the strongest ally, but mm -hmm. David is a hundred percent an ally and not just an ally, but like an accomplice in making mm -hmm. sure that we drive diversity in fiction. So, um, so I think that's really great for the program. It's really great for incoming students. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of, um, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I have a lot of hope for, for what comes out of the program in the next few years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, it's really interesting to think about how universities can, uh, exist to replicate the status quo um, yeah. not just in not just in mfa programs but i think across the board right mm -hmm. um and then finding ways to sort of use the structure of universities and the power that they wield as a way to kind of uh create equity um yeah. it's an interesting puzzle and i think wilkes is doing a um mfa program at wilkes is doing a, a fabulous job yeah i think they're they're on the road to like really you know really making impactful change so i'm really excited yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking time thank out so of your very busy day. Me.
um, to come yeah. and talk to me. Absolutely. I'm really excited so uh, that we were able to chat and do this. For more on tenure tracks, please go to untenured.space to access our archives or go to patreon.com slash untenured to help support us.